Hey everyone, welcome to the Love Six Scribe podcast. If you paid attention last week, you may have noticed that I did not have an episode and that is because I was out of town uh, with my family and we had a family vacation for a week, which we have once a year and it was good to have some downtime and to be able to potentially relax a little bit as much as you can relax with uh, young children and then additional young children <laughs> along with the uh, the trip. And so I don't know about you guys, sometimes you feel like you need a vacation from your vacation. And I say that in a loving way, but it was a lot of fun, but definitely at times it was not relaxing. And especially where we have a young son who's teething right now and was in the same room with us while he was sleeping. You can imagine how fun that was. And bless his heart, he's, he's having a hard time with that. But anyway, I want to welcome you guys to the podcast today or this morning whenever you're listening to it. This is the podcast where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. If this is your first time being on here, I'm Don Hill and I'm the Love Six Scribe. Today's topic is going to be talking about twisted scripture or what I'm going to title the blog post coordinating with this straight out of context matters. And so I started thinking about this quite heavily two years ago, actually, if, if this is October, two years ago would have been several months after leaving the hyper charismatic slash NAR slash word of faith movement that I was part of. And the way that I was processing things, I was trying to, to um, discern and understand some of the things I'd come out of and having to unlearn things as I went and continuing to still to this day, unlearning things that were not biblically based, that were not based in the truth of the word of God in the proper context, and having to learn again and start from the foundation of Christ as the foundation and building from there in my understanding properly of scripture and knowing what the Word of God said. And one of the biggest things that I was learning from this was twisted scripture, that there had been scripture, which is actually what started the whole thing for me in recognizing something was wrong. And from there, it started a whole cascade of things that ultimately led to me and my family having to leave the church that we were part of. Now, when I say twisted scripture, what I mean by that is, is that there can be a scripture that's taken out of context and it's presented or taught in a way that's not really honoring to God. And I actually want to close with that at the end and, and really redirect back to that and circle, circle back around to honoring to God and glorifying God in our understanding of scripture. And that's very important. Two years ago, when all this happened, or a little over two years ago, in at the end of February to early March of 2019, I was I had sat in some services, and during the offering message, I heard the apostle that I was sitting under reference a couple of of verses that, at the time, I honestly was very ignorant and biblically illiterate, even though I thought I understood, even though I thought I knew scripture because I was just pulling it out randomly and using it for whatever I thought that the Holy Spirit was saying and using it in a mystical way, but. I heard this apostle, quote apostle, say these verses when he was talking about spiritual sons and daughters listening and obeying. And one of the ones that stood out to me was John 10, 27. And he had misquoted that verse and said, as far as regarding spiritual sons and daughters and their relationship to spiritual fathers, that they are supposed to listen and obey. And he used and quoted John 10, 27, though he misquoted it. And I don't know what version he used, but he said, my sheep hear my voice and they do what I say. And when I was sitting in the service, I remember thinking, hmm, 
I, that doesn't sound right to me. And then there was another verse he used, John 14, 15, where he was talking about the, the second part of spiritual sons and daughters obeying spiritual fathers. And he referenced John 14, 15 and was talking about how spiritual sons and daughters are supposed to obey their spiritual fathers. And then he went on to quote John 14, 15. He said, you know, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I remember in that service, literally jolting in my seat. And it was the moment that God used John 10, 10, 27 to get my attention initially, which is a salvation passage, by the way, has nothing to do with uh, listening to spiritual fathers and spirit as a spiritual child or spiritual son or daughter has nothing to do with that, by the way. And then John 14, 15 was the straw that broke the camel's back, it would seem. And God used his own word, though it was misappropriated and mistaught. God's word does not come back null and void. It, it serves the purpose. It fulfills the purpose that it exactly was intended to do, which is to minister the truth. Regardless of this individual, this quote apostle that was misappropriating scripture, God's word is still the truth. God was working through his word in spite of the misappropriation that was taking place in that service. His word was being used to open my eyes and begin the process of me questioning and beginning to start discerning something's not right. Though it's been a hard process, I thank the Lord every day. Uh, when, I th when this comes to mind, I'm thankful every day to the Lord for getting me out of this environment for uh, setting me free, for forgiving me, for uh, for being uh, merciful to me, being gracious to me, because I did not deserve his mercy. I did not deserve his grace. And I thank him for, uh, for helping me to understand the word properly and to be able to help others in glorifying him. Twisted scripture is a really big issue. It's a huge problem in a lot of the church that people are taking scripture out of context and they're saying that it means one thing when it doesn't. And there can it can go to the point of like it was in my situation to where I would classify what happened in that in that particular instance that's a that's spiritually abusive. That's abusive to use that type of those type of verses in such a way as that that person did and to use them in that in that capacity in order to manipulate people, to control them, to intimidate them, and to try to get them to do what they want. That's not okay, and that's dishonoring to God, and it's really making, it's Luciferian. It's making that person the center of attention, and so that's, that's what was happening in that uh, instance. But after that happened, I began to get into my Bible and to look up other verses, and I still do that to this day, when there's verses that come up, which I'll share with you in a few minutes, there are verses that come to me that I remember hearing for years and years and years during sermons or especially during offering messages. That may be foreign to some of you all. For those that may not may be wondering, what are you talking about offering messages? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But for those of us that are familiar with this, we have sat in services before or corporate gatherings where there has not only been a potential message or sermon during the the corporate gathering as the main part, but there's also an offering sermon or offering message that's given. This was not an uncommon occurrence. You might be thinking, well, maybe it happened every now and then. In the church that I was part of, it happened every Wednesday and every Sunday. And typically when there were conferences or there were special gatherings, someone was asked or assigned to give an offering message during the service. And this was 
I'm not kidding when I say this, there were times that some of these offering messages went up to 15 to 20 minutes. That was not uncommon to do that. That's actually what happened in the services that I was in. And 10 minutes of that offering message was a rant that had nothing to do with giving, uh, had nothing to do with offering, had nothing to do with, with any of that. But somehow in the 10 minute time frame during however many minutes that was, I want to say it was probably roughly about 20 minutes that was spent, 15 to 20 minutes on the offering message. 10 minutes of that was spent talking about spiritual sons and daughters listening and obeying. And, and expounding on that and, and misappropriating scripture. So that's what kicked all this off, was thinking about the twisted scripture as I was processing. And so some of you that do know what I'm talking about with the offering messages, you'll, you, again, you understand where I'm coming from on this. So that was, that was used in that aspect. And there was actually one in particular that I was recalling recently and lo- when I was looking up some of these verses, and I was sharing with my husband about it, and it was Luke 6.38. That was a big one that was used a lot during the offering messages, which I was also one of the ones that was scheduled to do offering messages at times. And so I was equally guilty in misappropriating scripture, and I admit that, and I have repented of that and asked God to forgive me and to help me to understand his word and to understand the truth of it. As we get into this, there may be verses that you recall that were misappropriated. And I'm going to give you some tips as we go and what you need to do as far as not only in your private study time of the Word of God, but if you're in a corporate setting, you really need to be taking notes. You really, if you're having call, especially if you're calling things into question and something doesn't seem right, you really need to be taking notes as far as what the minister is saying. You need to be writing down the verses and the context of what they're saying. Maybe even get the recording and listen to it, making sure that you're testing things against Scripture. It's It's very important to do that and that you need to be in a biblically sound church to where you are hearing expository preaching, that you're hearing the word of God taught properly, because if you're not understanding the word of God properly, that's going to cause a huge issue in your walk with Christ. And it's going to cause a huge issue in your ability to convey the gospel to people. It's going to cause problems in you understanding what it means to walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. It's going to cause you to, to have a false understanding of what it means to be spirit filled. You're not going to have a true biblical understanding of things. And then you're not going to be able to, to essentially honor God in the way that you want. It's going to be basically creating a God of your own imagination of your own likeness, so to speak. And we want to honor and glorify God in every area of our lives. And one of the first ways we need to do that is by understanding the word of God properly so we can convey it to others, to our family, to our children, and that we're not perpetuating false doctrine. We're not perpetuating false teaching, and we're not perpetuating what we think something means necessarily, and we're not doing due diligence to know what the word of God says better. So I'm going to share several examples with you, several verses, just to get you thinking about some of these. And and some of these, you may immediately say, oh, I'm familiar with that. I was taught the same thing. Or you may have been taught a little, something a little bit different. But regardless, the point of this podcast is to get you thinking about the Word of God, to, to encourage you and stir you to become a student of the Word, to open the Bible on your own time and to read it and to test everything that you're hearing and making sure that it is in fact, what it says it is when a person ministers it and that it's glorifying God in the process and administering truth. It's ministering the truth from the word of God. 
The first scripture I want to talk about is Romans 10, 17. Romans 10, 17 is a very frequently quoted passage of scripture. So I want to just read Romans 10, 17 to you. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I can tell you right off the bat that Romans 10, 17 was one of the go-to verses that was used for the word of faith. So Romans 10, 17 was frequently quoted when you're talking about building your faith, believing for things, praying for things that you call things into existence. We'll talk about some of those other verses in just a minute. But Romans 10, 17 was one that was typically quoted when you're talking about your faith, believing for things, standing, uh, standing on the word for things and calling those things in and believing that God is going to do something in your life or move in your body or, you know, there's different areas that people could be using this verse in order to say that they have faith in God and that they hear the word of God and that it stirs their faith in order to believe that God is going to do something on their behalf. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, the question is, is that what that verse means? And the answer should be found in reading the verses around it. And that's one of the tips I want to give to you. I can't really wait till the end to give you the tips because I have to use the tips in order to show you and explain to you how you can understand what a verse is saying. So typically what is good to do is to maybe read at least 10 verses. You can maybe read a couple of verses sometimes before and after a passage to see what it's what the context is. But sometimes you can, uh, typically what I like to do is I even like to back up even maybe 10 verses, maybe more than that, to try to see what the context is and to read before and after it. So that way I'm not missing what the author of this particular letter was saying. So in Romans 10, we're going, when you read this, we'll start at, since we're going to do the 10 verses before, let's start at. See, let's see if verse 7 is a good place to start. It's actually starting in the middle of a sentence, and I'm kind of a stickler for that. So let's start at verse 6. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. When we read the, at least the passages, the 10 passages before, and again, you could always read more than that, or you could just read a few verses, uh, but 10 is a good one, good place to start. So 10 verses at least before that we've done. And so we see right here that this is talking about salvation. 
it's talking about the gospel. This is not talking about you having faith and hearing the word of God, that you speak the word of God over your situation or your circumstance, and that your faith is based on you speaking the word of God over that, and that whatever you're calling in is going to happen because of your faith and you speaking the word of God over it. This is talking about the gospel. It's talking about salvation. And it's really neat, too, just as a as a other uh, additional point. It's really neat even reading through this passage, and you see this a lot in the New Testament, how many times the Old Testament is referenced. For example, right before this in verse 15, there's a reference to Isaiah 52, verse 7, when Paul quotes, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Well, the good news is the gospel of the kingdom. And he's referencing Isaiah 52, 7, to the Romans. Now, another good thing to to recognize when you're reading scripture that helps us to keep it in context is we need to note who wrote the letter, who the audience is, who is the author speaking to, and what's the application. Is this descriptive for my life? Uh, as far as is this descriptive as far as me reading this and understanding maybe a hi- historical account, or understanding what what took place in a particular time. Or is this prescriptive, meaning is this something I can apply to my life as a Christian and know how to conduct myself that's going to glorify God ultimately in my life, and it's going to to point back to Jesus Christ? There's a difference in some of these verses that are descriptive and prescriptive. I would say that in Romans 10, this is prescriptive. So we're understanding how the gospel is presented, faith in Christ, not faith in my faith, not faith in my ability to speak and to call things into existence, none of that. Faith, which is talking about faith in Christ to save us and to give us eternal life, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, this is talking about the gospel. It's talking about ministering and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, ministering salvation. So Romans 10, 17 was one of the first ones I wanted to come to because this is such a well-known passage that is misquoted many times in the Word of Faith movement, the hyper-charismatic church and such, that is used to tell people one thing that, that has nothing to do with what this passage is talking about. Let's go on to another one, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. This was another one I had come across recently when I was doing my five-day Bible reading. I was reading through 2 Corinthians, and this passage jumped off the page at me when I was reading it and rereading it, and I remembered hearing some messages in the past that people had quoted this. So let me see if I can find it here real quick. My pages are sticking together. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. So we're just going to read it. Out, straight out of context to start with, and then we'll talk about the context. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Again, that's another passage that's used sometimes to say, well, you know, we walk by calling things in that aren't as though they were. I'll talk about Romans 4, 17 here in just a moment. That is a very frequently misused passage of scripture that's also, again, used in word of faith or to see to talk about you call those things that aren't as though they were, that you speak things into existence, that you watch the power of your words. We'll talk about Proverbs 18 in just a minute. So these are some of the ones that I was familiar with that were heavily used and, and actually heavily misused. And they and it may have been unintentional, but some people are intentionally misusing them and they know that they're misusing them and they don't care because they have an agenda. They have their own 
selfish purposes that they're using these verses for, and it's for their own monetary gain or their their own popularity or whatever it is, but they're using these for their own personal gain. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. So we'll hear that verse. We could hear that verse and think, well, I'm, I'm believing that God is going to give me a new house or that he is going to uh, you know, restore my marriage or that he's going to do these certain things. And, you know, I walk by faith and not by sight, or I'm believing that God is going to heal my body or heal this person's body that I love, or that, um, that, that I'm going to have all this money in the bank, or I'm going to have a nice car, you know, it could be monetary things or physical things, objects, or it could be, again, personal things as far as marriage, healing, children, uh, you know, job, you name it. So we'll misquote this passage and we'll say, well, you know, we walk by faith and not by sight. I don't, I don't have to see what's, what's happening. I can speak it in and I'm going to walk, I'm going to stand on my faith and believe before I even see it, that it's going to take place. I'm going to get that new car. I'm going to get that job. I'm going to have a full bank account. I'm going to have, my marriage is going to be great. My children are going to serve the Lord. I'm going to speak it in. I'm going to stand on my faith. I don't need to see it. Is that what the verse is saying? Well, let's take a look. So we're going to back up and actually start at We'll start at the beginning of chapter 5. Uh, and we can see even before this when we back up to verse 17, when in chapter 4 in Romans, or in uh, 2 Corinthians, that Paul is, is, uh, is encouraging the Corinthians about not losing heart, that even though their outer self is wasting away, the inner self, that's in verse 16, that the, the inner self is being renewed day by day. Actually, that's a really good place to start. So let's start in chapter 4 of, of 2 Corinthians, verse 16. So we do not lose heart. So, and Paul's already talked to them prior to this about an apostle, about serving as an apostle, and some of the, the struggles that the apostles go through in order to serve for the sake of Christ. So we do not lose heart, verse 16. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, into chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 7, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then verse 11 goes on in that, that chapter to talk about the ministry of reconciliation. So what is Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 saying? What is it about? Is it about believing what you're praying for or what you're speaking in about your finances or your family or your personal health? Is that what chapter or Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 is about? That you walk by faith and not by sight in those matters? Actually, it's not. 
what this is talking about is looking forward to the resurrection. It's looking forward to the eternal promise of eternal life that can only be found through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And that's what it's talking about. And it's even mentioning, even prior to this, in the first few verses of chapter 5, it's talking about how our bodies groan. They groan inwardly because as Romans tells us later on in Romans 8, we know that the earth was subjected to futility because of sin. And all the earth is groaning and for the revealing of the sons of God. And that's another passage that we can look at that's misappropriated. But the revealing of the sons of God is not about us. It's about Christ. It's about his, his second coming. And it's about the resurrection that will come, the new heavens and the new earth. The earth is groaning because it longs to see that day, not because of us, but because of him. And so 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about our heavenly dwelling. It's, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, and he's t- causing them to want to look ahead and saying, I know that your body is wasting away. He told them that in 2 Corinthians 4. So anybody that wants to argue and say, you don't have to grow old, you don't have to wrinkle, you don't have to do all these things, um, I would like to remind you of 2 Corinthians 4 that says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Those are the ones that know Christ. The outer self is decaying, and when your body dies, it's going to decay and rot. It's going to turn back to dust, because from dust we came, and to dust we shall return. But our spirit, the inward person, which also, by the way, don't discount the body, because our bodies will be resurrected at the end. So the physical body does matter. That's part of who you are. It is going to be resurrected. There's going to be a, there's going to be a resurrection. So don't forget that. And don't listen to people that discount the body and they say, well, it's just a body. It's just a shell. False. Those people have not read their Bible and you need to not listen to those people because there is a resurrection. What else is resurrected? Think about that. Anyway, 2 Corinthians 5 is dealing with our heavenly dwelling. It's looking forward to the resurrection that Christ promises, the gift of eternal life. This is the the hope that we have for salvation, for one thing, to be saved from the wrath of God, and that we have eternal life promised to us, that after we die, after we depart from this earth, that we have the eternity to spend with God. That's what we have to look forward to. And this is talking about this and that though we groan inwardly, our bodies groan because we're longing to have our resurrected bodies. We're longing to finally under, to be glor- to be in that glorified state with Christ, that we long for that time where there's no more sickness, there's no more pain, there's no more turmoil, there's no more toil, there's no more suffering because we know in this earth that there is suffering regardless of what people tell you, regardless of what empty promises they try to give you, what uh, primrose path they try to present to you. And and say that you're never going to suffer, that you can always have, you'll never be in lack, and you'll never have to have all these things happen to you, that you can always go through every day without having any sickness. I would encourage you to look at some of those people in the past that have said those things, and are they still alive, or did they die? That died years ago, these generals of faith and such that have said these things, you know, you have to, you have to take these things into consideration, and I would encourage you, please stop putting people on pedestals. Look to Christ for your encouragement. Yes, we can encourage one another, but ultimately we are to look for to Christ. We are to fix our gaze on him and we are to look to him for the ultimate encouragement, the ultimate satisfaction. We are to look to him for those promises and the hope. We don't look to other people. We respect other people, other leaders and such. We, we respect maybe their teachings, but there are some people that taught things that are wrong and are improper and they were still very popular. And we do not need to put those people on pedestals and essentially idolize them. 
And no one is off limits from questioning. Nobody. It doesn't matter how big their platform is. It doesn't matter who they know. It doesn't matter how long they, they say they've been in ministry. If they say they've been in ministry for decades, then they should know better than to teach things that are not correct in Scripture. That doesn't give someone the right to teach something that's, that's to be misappropriated. And some people are going to make mistakes, and they're going to be honest mistakes. But if someone is perpetually teaching something over and over and over again, and they're saying it's what it means, and when you go to the Bible and you see that's not the right, that's not the right context, then those people are not to be listened to. They're to be prayed for, that their eyes will be opened, that God would have mercy on them, but they are not to be listened to and they're not to, their teachings are not to be elevated and held in high esteem. The next one I want to talk about is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, another very well-known passage. Most of these are going to be very well-known. So Philippians 4, 13 is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We've heard so many people, and I've been guilty of this as well, We've heard so many people use this verse out of context. We've heard uh, athletes use this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can win the Super Bowl. You know, if they're being interviewed for winning the Super Bowl or, you know, the World Series or, you know, NASCAR or whatever. NASCAR is real big in my area, so that's why it came up. You may be going, what is NASCAR, if you don't know. But NASCAR is a big thing in our area. Um, You know, you, you can hear athletes say this. You can hear other, you know, just common everyday other people say this, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's encouraging. Is that what that means? Is that, does that mean I can win the Super Bowl? Does that mean I mean I can win any, anything that, that I play? Does that mean that I can, you know, if that I can get in whatever job I want, I can do all things through Christ. I can work out, you know, that's another thing I can work out. You know, I can lift hundred pound weights. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can tell you right now, if I try to lift hundred pound weights, I would get injured. I would get seriously injured because uh, I need to build up strength. And I, first of all, I need to start working out to begin with. But Philippians chapter four, verse 13, um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let's see what the context is. We may not even have to in this situation. We may not have to back up to 10 verses, but let's back, let's back up to verse 10 from, from 13. Let's see if that helps us. So chapter uh, Philippians chapter four, verse 10 I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I stopped at verse 17 there. So what is this verse saying? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, Paul is not talking about he can win the Super Bowl or that he can win some uh, some particular game in the playoffs or that he can win Talladega or, you know, he's not saying that he can lift 100-pound weights through the strength of Christ that strengthens him. He's not talking about anything like that. What he's referencing here when you even back up to verse 12, he says he knows he knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound. In any and every circumstance, he's learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. 
And he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So this has nothing to do with how we appropriate it in our own personal lives. In that capacity of I can do A, B, and C because Christ strengthens me. What this is talking about in this, Paul is conveying the fact that he's learned in any of these circumstances, whether he has enough to eat or he doesn't have enough to eat. Ultimately, he's looking not to the things that he's not looking to the physical provision, but he's looking to Christ to provide him and to strengthen him in any circumstance that he's in, in those situations, whether he has enough or he has nothing that ultimately he's, he's recognizing that the strength doesn't lie in what material things he has or what he has in that life at the moment, but it's in Christ and that he's trusting Christ to strengthen him regardless of his circumstance, that he's able to be strengthened by Christ in lack or in abundance, whether he has enough to eat or he's, he's hungry. He's learning in both those circumstances the importance of trusting Christ and having him be his strength and not relying on his circumstances to strengthen him. Now, is that encouraging to people when they hear, you know, uh, someone that's famous say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We get encouraged when we hear people that are professing believers in Christ that are saying things, but we need to be saying the scripture in the proper context. It's very important that we do that. So that way we're honoring God. Luke 638. This is one I really wanted to get to because this is one I heard quite often and it's one I'm sure that I misquoted at some time, but this was used during offering messages. I mentioned a little bit ago about offering messages and that I was accustomed to for years. And mind you, I was part of this movement for almost two decades. For 18 years, I was, um, I was used to hearing offering sermons every service including conferences every night when we had conferences. If we had a four-day conference, there was an offering message that was given in the evening service in order to get money to come in to, to support the conference speakers and to pay the bills for what the conference had done as far as uh, hotels and uh, such for the speakers and, and all the things that they were doing. Luke 6.38, let's read that. Let's just read that passage and let's see what it says. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So when I've heard that verse mentioned in uh, services, particularly in offering messages, that verse is used. That verse is used to say when you give your money, that you will get an abundance back, that it will be pressed down, shaken together, running over into your bosom will men give to you. In other translations, it says that. In the ESV that I have, it says will be put into your lap. So that, um, when I looked at some of the notes in my study Bibles, it was actually talking about um, when, you, when you look at a garment of a man that's sitting and um, it cups in, in the middle into his lap, and that's what it's referring to. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the offering message goes, if you give, and if you're generous in your giving, then this will be given back to you. It will be running over. It will be pressed down. It will be shaken, running over. It, people will give back to you. And with the measure you use to give, it will be measured back to you. So you don't want to be a stingy giver now. And you certainly don't want to be one of those people that just gives your tithe at 10%. Because, you know, that's just training wheels. I, I can't remember how many times I heard that in services. Tithing is training wheels. That's what people would say. That just helps you so that way you'll learn 
you'll learn how to give more. And that you'll give till it hurts. You'll continue to give and you'll give and you'll give because if you don't give, then you don't trust God. And you're robbing, you know, Malachi 3 is another one. Uh, you're, you're robbing from God if you don't tithe. You don't give into the storehouse, which um, I encourage you to... Uh, one of the one of the good t- uh, one of the teachings I heard about this uh, within the past year that was so good I went to Costi Hen's site and um, actually I think it was on maybe Redeemer Bible Church and it was talking about tithing and if it was still part of today or or how do we know how to give which I'm not um, I'm not discouraging giving I would just encourage you to look in in the New Testament and and to give as you purpose in your heart, as what Second Corinthians 9 talks about. And we do want to be, um, we do want to be people that, that give, that help others and such. It, again, it's manipulative to tell people you need to give till it hurts or, you know, 10% is the training wheels, the tithing is training wheels. And, um, you know, there's, there's, I could get into that a lot of, of different things that people will say to get you to give. And then you need to give above, above your 10%. You need to give in your offering, which Again, in these conferences I was part of, it was not uncommon to every night for them to to ask for offering to continue to to give and to 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 pour in, and that they would use their own stories to manipulate. Just like that, what happened that first night I was in there. Another thing that happened in the services I was part of, where I started waking up from this deception, was uh, the the quote apostle. And, re- and the reason why I'm saying quote apostle is because there are no apostles today. There are no modern day apostles as far as big A apostles. And anybody who tries to tell you that there are, um, again, I would encourage them to read scripture because there are no authoritative apostles today. But this this particular person was saying that he was bragging about how he had given and that he had, he was being very arrogant during that night during the service that he was telling people, telling us that, you know, he had told the church several years ago, if they weren't going to give, that he was going to give way more than them. And if they wanted to be stingy and, you know, it just went on and on. So Luke six let's see, let's, let's take a look at this for just a minute. Let's see if this is what this is saying. We are going to back up to, let's go to Luke six twenty seven. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Either, Give to everyone who begs from you, and one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to lend, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Verse 37. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now here you go. Now there's, And I want you to notice something here if you're reading along with me in your Bible. In my Bible, there is a semicolon after forgiven, which means the thought is, um, is going to be attached in verse 38 to what was in verse 37. Let me read verse 37 one more time. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. 
for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And then Jesus goes on to share a parable in verse 39. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you measure your, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to, to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, we could talk about that passage as well because people like to say you're not supposed to judge, which in the church you are supposed to righteously judge. We are told to judge righteously within the church. And in order for you to judge righteously, you have to be willing to look at yourself, take the log out of your eye, and in order for you to take the speck out of your brother's eye, after that, you have to judge righteously. So there is judgment there, and it's talking about you helping someone to take the speck out of their eye. So there is, again, there's judgment involved. But as we go to verse 38 here in, in chapter 6 in Luke, we can see here, this is talking about judging others. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Forgiveness, you give forgiveness. Good measure, press down, shake it together, running over will be given, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, meaning the measure you use to judge, condemn, and to forgive, it will be measured back to you. This has nothing to do with money. This has nothing to do with you giving. It has nothing to do with how, how much money that you give and that's going to be given back to you. And we have taught this and when I say we, there's many of us, and again, myself included, I'm sure that I've used this verse before, or, or, and I even ignorantly thought that this is what this meant when people would say it, not ever questioning it. But we have created, whether we've meant to or not, by using this verse, it has been created to, cr to make a greedy type of person, essentially, and money becomes the center, and going, if you'll just give more, then God will give back to you. There is no guarantee of that in Scripture, by the way. There is no guarantee that when you give your life savings, when you give whatever's in your in your bank account or in your wallet, that you're going to get that back. There's no guarantee of that. And to use these verses like this again, it manipulates people, and it's misappropriated Scripture, and it's not honoring God. When we are misappropriating Scripture, we're not honoring God in the process of doing that. I hope this is helping you. I want to do two more, and I'm actually going to combine them. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 is one that um, that was used a lot. It's used a lot in the word of faith. Uh, Proverbs 18, let me look that up. So Proverbs 18 is one of the ones that's very well known in the word of faith movement. It's very well, it's, it's frequently quoted. I heard it, I don't know how many times. I've said it myself, uh, ignorantly not knowing what it meant. Proverbs 18, verse 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. And then we also see Romans 4, 17 is also used that, that we can speak those things that aren't as though they were. I've said that myself, uh, and forget, I, God forgive me for saying, again, those such ignorant things and not knowing what I was saying. But we can speak those things that aren't as though they were, that we can call things into existence. And again, that goes to the whole faith thing. I can't see it, but I'm going to call it in because I have the power to do so. And then Proverbs 23, verse 7 is a third one I want to throw in. It says, for um, people will say, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. When actually that's not what, that that's uh, reinterpreting what that uh, verse says. 
But all three of those are typically used in the word of faith movement or to say, you know, however, whatever you think in your heart, that's how you're going to be. You, you want to watch the power of your words with Proverbs 18. You know, if you say your back is killing you, it's going to kill you. Uh, I, I'm serious when I say this. Some, and there may be some people that are listening to this that are saying that is ridiculous. But this type of talk goes on in these movements that the power of your words is a vital thing, that you don't, you don't say that you're sick. You don't speak sickness in. You don't claim sickness is what they'll say. You don't say, well, I, you know, everybody's getting the flu and I'm going to get it. Oh, you better watch that because you're going to get the flu because you're calling it in. Don't you know the power of your words? Don't you know that you're speaking those things that aren't as though they were? Or, you know, you can reverse that and say with Romans 4, 17, for example, you know, I don't have, my bank account's not full. I know I'm, I keep going to this, but... It's sad because finances are a huge, um, and not that they're not, and not that finances are not important. We want to be, we want provision. We want and understand that God can provide for us in those capacities. But there tends to be this obsession, it almost seems like, or fascination and fi- or fixation, I should say, a fixation on finances in these movements. And I would just question why, why is that, that there is such a fixation on this. Of continuously, you know, we, we, you know, you got to talk to your checkbook and talk to your wallet and say that you're full of money or that you've got all the, all this, this money in there and, you know, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. And, you know, these little, these little catchphrases that people come up with. You want to make sure that you're watching the power of your words, that you're calling these things in as though they were. Well, for example, Romans 4, 17 that's not even about us. That's about God. That's about Abraham trusting God as the one who speaks those things as though they were, that aren't as though they were. That is God doing that. That's not us. And there is no amount of argument that anybody's going to be able to give to work around that passage because we don't call things into existence. There is no scripture that is going to, to validate that belief and that doctrine. And people are going to say, well, Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who eat of it will, uh, those who love it will eat its fruits. You can encourage and discourage people with this. It's um, even James three talks about the power of our tongue, that it, it, that it can do evil things, wicked things that people are not able to bridle their own tongues. There is power in our words in, in such a capacity that we can encourage people or discourage people. But I know people that for years that have said, well, I'm going to die at a certain age, or I'm going to have this happen or that happen, and it's not happened to them. So can someone explain to me how that takes place or why we can't just, you know, say something about someone and curse them and it immediately happens like that every time? There are people that have adopted some of these beliefs and they've run with them because this is what they've been taught. Again, I came out of this movement and I sympathize with that. And I can relate to that. When you've been taught something for years and years and years, it gets ingrained in you. And it can take quite a bit of time to get, to get it out of you. But that's the power of the Word of God. When we understand the Word of God in context, then we're going to understand the truth. And then we're not going to be swayed by every wind of doctrine like Ephesians talks about. And we're not going to be deceived. And we're, not going to, we're going to use proper discernment. And we're going to be students of the Word. We're going to be good Bereans like in Acts 17, and we're going to look at the word and we're going to test things against scripture and make sure that we're understanding this because we don't want to be led astray. 
But those three particular verses are used in such a way, again, the power of your words, that, that uh, you have to watch what you say, that you can speak death and life in, so you have to, to watch, uh, be careful with those things. And these are misappropriated scriptures. And again, I would say, yes, we do. Our words are powerful. We can discourage people. We can encourage people. But we don't have the power. That's, that's bordering on sorcery or witchcraft. And I thought that we were against that when we can say that we can call things in as, as, as that aren't as though they were, that we can, you know, speak death into somebody or speak life. That sounds like witchcraft and Christians, true believers in Christ don't hold to such things because then we start getting into, into mythology. We start getting into these, these mystical ways and mythology of believing certain doctrines that are just not supported by the word of God. And, I would say that the word of God is sufficient for us. Second Timothy 3.16 says the word of God is sufficient for training us up in righteousness, for correcting us, for rebuking us, for reproving us, for instructing us. It's sufficient. I know I've covered a lot in, in this and we've talked about several verses and expounded on them. And I hope that this has helped you. That's the main point of doing this. But I want to encourage you, please read the word of God. Please get in the word. And when you hear verses that are taken like this, you need to go and you need to read. You need to read before the verse. You need to read after the verse. You need to get some commentaries. You need to have a good study Bible. You need to read in the notes. Now, commentaries are good because you're going to get different um, understandings based on who's written and whether it's Matthew Henry or, you know, um, MacArthur has a good commentary. Um, you can have this, uh, I think there's a believer's Believers commentary. There's several commentaries that I have. There's a great study Bibles out there. I have a I have several study Bibles. I have an ESV study Bible. I have the Reformation study Bible. I have the MacArthur study Bible. I think there's a couple others I have that I like to go and I like to look at the notes in those because I want to see the different perspectives of looking at this, maybe even some of the historical understandings, and try to gain a better perspective and a better understanding biblically of what's going on in the passage. And looking at the verses in context and, and remembering, okay, who wrote this? Who was, the auth who was the author? Who was the audience? How can I apply? What's the application? What's, what was the application for them then? And does this apply to me now? Or how can I apply this as a believer? Or can I be encouraged by this account? And what took place and the fact that God provided for his people in this point, that he is, again, pointing, because scripture, by the way, is not about us. It's about Christ. It's pointing back to Christ. The Bible is not about us. It's about Christ. And it's always pointing back to Christ, even in the Old Testament, the types and shadows and everything. Another good question to ask yourself when you're reading, especially in the Old Testament, where is Christ in this? How is this pointing back to Christ? Can I see the gospel being, uh, being presented here in the types and shadows? We need to be students of the word. And when I think about this to, and, and to leave you with this encouraging, and um, I want you to, to think about these, these questions that I ask you in closing. When scripture is taken out of context, what is the goal? What is the goal? And is that glorifying Christ? And some people will, will say, it doesn't really matter. You know, you're, you're, you're really, you're splitting hairs over this, or it's being really nitpicky. You know, why even address something like this? Or, you know, why are you attacking so-and-so? Or um, why are you, you know, saying this? Or, you know, why are you saying something about God's anointed, which 
by the way, every Christian is anointed. There are no special, <laughs> there's no one more special than someone else in the kingdom of God. And again, anybody who perpetuates that type of teaching is in error. It is important that scripture is not taken out of context. That's a big deal because it's not glorifying Christ. It actually presents another gospel potentially when scripture is taken out of context. When it's not presented in the proper context for which it was written and we are not understanding it, then it's irreverent. And it's also, again, what's, what's dangerous is it, is it has the, the great potential to present another gospel. And Paul warned about this in Galatians, that there was another gospel that the Galatians were being presented, which the Judaizers were doing. And if you, if you look at the history of what, how Galatians was written, the Judaizers were coming in, this is what Paul was referencing, and they were telling the church in Galatia, you, you know, salvation alone is not going to help you. It's not by grace. It's not by grace at all. You still got to hold to the law of Moses. You still got to be circumcised. The Judaizers were coming in and saying this, and they were undermining what Paul was ministering, the gospel that Paul was bringing, which was the gospel of grace, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. He was ministering to them and saying, your works don't save you. You need to remember the gospel that I brought to you. And you're listening to another gospel. And, an, and if a, an angel or myself comes to you and brings you another gospel that, we, that you have not heard, that person is anathema. They are cursed. And he warned them about this, a, a warning about listening to such people. And when we misappropriate scripture, this is another danger, that there's another gospel that's being ministered, and it's not glorifying Christ. It's not pointing people back to the true Christ that the Bible is testifying of. And I think that the, the irreverent part is a looming question because I believe that, there, that the fear of the Lord is lost in a lot of these movements. That the, the fear of the Lord, the, the reverential fear of God is lost when people are making claims about various things in in a supernatural way or they're misappropriating scripture in in particular when we're talking about this topic today the the fear of the lord is not present if we if we can dis, have such disregard for the word of god that we would that we would present it in a way that that's not what it means and then we're not doing anyone any good we're not we're doing a great disservice to the body of christ when the word is not being presented the way that the author wrote it, that the Holy Spirit guided that author to write it, it's not honoring God. So the the final thing I want to leave with you too is as I was thinking about this topic, for those that still say, well, you know, this that verse means doesn't mean what you say it means. It still means this to me. There's that the still there's going to be that pushback and there's still those people that maybe just don't want to listen and they don't want to hear this or they're they still are set in their ways. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is, you know, I'm not going to, I can't force you to believe anything. That God is the one who is going to soften hearts of people and open their eyes, pull the scale, take the scales off, peel the scales off to be able to see the truth. I'm not listen, I'm not telling you to listen to my truth. I'm telling you to listen to the truth of the Word of God and to just open your Bible and to begin to test. There's nothing wrong with that. To begin to test what the word of God says compared to what someone is saying that it says and making sure that it is the right context. And my question would be, how can the word of the Lord be a lamp unto our feet if we do not properly present it 
if it's not the, the, the truth and the context of the word of God, it cannot be a light, a lamp to someone's feet in that capacity to, to continue to lead them in the proper direction. Now, I said at the beginning that I was sitting under teaching. I was sitting under teaching for years that was misappropriating scripture and in God's timing, <laughs> which I still don't understand to this day, and I'm not ever going to understand, and I'm okay with that because he's God and I'm not. And he's using all this for his glory now. But I have asked the Lord in prayer and wondered, God, why? Why was I so blinded for so long? And now being able to to be, to begin to see over the past couple of years and to know I don't have all the answers, but I can go to the scripture and it helps me to understand better the truth of the word. Why was I in such deception for so long? And I go back to the whole thing as I did in the beginning that God's word doesn't come back void. Now, again, we can misuse that scripture to, to try to twist it and make it mean whatever we want it to mean. But the word of God which is ministering his gospel ultimately, it does not come back null and void. It served the purpose that it was intended to serve, which was to save one of his sheep and to save many of his sheep that are drawn to Christ by the Father, according to John 6, that no one comes to Christ unless the Father draws him or her. And even though the word of God was misappropriated in that moment, God used that to begin to open my eyes. Now, I did not have the proper understanding at the time when I heard it. All I had understanding of was something was not right. But when I began to look in the scripture, the Holy Spirit began to reveal and to help me understand the proper, the proper way of reading the Bible verses and having a better understanding of them in order to glorify him and to point back to him. And we must understand the word of God in context in order for it truly to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So I, again, I hope I've said this before several times already, but I hope this has been helpful. I really do. That's the point of these podcasts is to, is to, is to shed some light on these subjects and to point you back to Christ and to help you in your Bible study uh, in, in, in trying to decipher and discern these things that maybe you've been a part of. So until next time, when we meet again on here to talk about these biblical truths and to grow in loving the word of God and loving Jesus Christ by understanding his word even more, I hope that you have a great week and looking forward to our time together again. Be blessed. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesubscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.